Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My news blog is aimed at local news in and around the Fishers, Indiana area. So check out my web blog, LarryInFishers.com. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Larry in Fishers. Adam Capps is a Democrat challenging Republican incumbent David George in this year's general election for the Southwest District seat on the Fisher City Council. I spoke with Adam Capps at the Ignite Space located on the lower level of the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. Ignite has plenty for artists of all types and regular activities as well. So check with any Ignite staff member anytime the library is open and take a tour of the Ignite Space. Here is my conversation with Adam Capps, recorded during the afternoon of Monday, September 30th. I'm at the AV studio in the basement of the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. My guest is Adam Capps. Adam is a Democrat. He is running in the Southwest City Council District in the upcoming general election. Adam, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, first thing I want to do is just take a moment here because obviously you're new to politics. I am. Uh, probably as far as the spe- any politics, uh, much less that in Fishers. So <laughs> how about just telling myself and the audience something about yourself? Tell us who Adam Capps is. Sure. Um, well, as you said, my name is Adam Capps. I'm running for city council in the Southwest District. Um, and the district kind of goes from 96th Street up to 116th Street and then from the White River over to Cumberland Road. So it's a lot of land. Of course, it includes Ikea. It's got some of the older businesses that have been around for a while, including Chatham Tap, Rockstone, The Roost, if you like a good breakfast place. Um, and so that's that's the district that I'm running to serve in. Um, my wife and I moved here um, a few years ago. is where we bought our first home. Uh, we live just south of the Nickel Plate District, um, which is a, a very uh, diverse district, but also one that is getting a lot of attention right now with some of the developments that are happening in the city, which is great. Um, we moved here uh, with just our two dogs uh, with no children at the moment, but we do love taking them around for walks around the district, and um, it's really a great place to call home. So let me go, go a little further here. Obviously, you make a commitment to run for city council. It's a lot of work. So what made – I should ask you what not made, what made you, but what motivated you to become a candidate for city council? Yeah, well – the, the first thing I would say to that is that I, I sort of come from a background of people that have served their communities. My, my dad's a firefighter with the Indianapolis Fire Department. My mom worked in healthcare and, and now works on the business side of healthcare. So she worked at Community East. Um, for the long time back in the 90s and um, now works for um, a larger company doing medical sales of all things. Um, so a lot of different aspects there, but all of it geared towards helping the community. And that's something that I hadn't experienced in my lifetime. I, I have a background in business. Um, I studied marketing and entrepreneurship and, and spent my entire career doing that up to this point. And um, I've always wanted to find a way to contribute to the community in some capacity. And when my wife and I moved to Fishers, uh, some of the things that started changing started to pique my interest a little bit. You know, of course, we've got the development of the Nickel Plate Trail. We've got some new developments that are coming uh, down the pipeline on 116th Street. And uh, all of those 
um, certainly have their merits. But um, uh, with my house being as close as it is to 116th Street, um, certainly caught my attention and as well as the attention of my neighbors. So when you start talking to them, you start seeing that people have legitimate concerns that may be different from yours, but also may be exactly how you feel. And the more you talk to people, the more you understand that you're not the only one who has the concerns that you have. And knowing my background and knowing the opportunity that we had to win some seats over this year and um, hopefully find a way to address some of these issues. Um, I mean, you have no choice once you understand that to throw your hat in the ring. And that uh, segues to the next question because I've kind of looked at your website and your Facebook feed, but you tell me and the audience what your major issues are as a candidate. Sure. Well, I've got a, a walk card with me so I can just go down the, bull- the, the bulleted list. But, um, I mean, the, 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 mo- the, the primary issue that I'm concerned about is our lack of small businesses in the city. And that is when, you, when we claim to be an entrepreneurial city, when we claim to be a vibrant city, when you don't have small businesses, it doesn't support that claim because small businesses are entrepreneurs and small businesses are the backbone of any community that wants to have value or culture. And the development is one way that is pushing some of those small businesses out by raising real estate costs or flat out buying the business and asking them to move somewhere else. Um, and by no means am I anti-development, but I want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that is including our small businesses at the table to work out deals. So when you talk about small business and you say Fishers does not have a sufficient amount of small business, how do you measure that? Sure. So I should, I should specify first of all that I mean locally owned small businesses. Sure. Um, so that, I think that is the most important concept to the entrepreneurial mindset, right? But when we look at the, the breadth of small businesses that we have in the city, only hand – uh, only a handful are owned by Fisher's residents or locally here in Indianapolis and or they're, they're franchises. And that's particularly in my district. You have a lot of people who used to be entrepreneurs or had buildings. You know, we had um, Archer's Meat Market. Uh, we had Sure Shot Coffee on the north side of 116th Street. And I'm a coffee guy, so that was my place. Um, I kind of like that it was a coffee shop within a department store of all things. That was an interesting concept. Yeah. But for those who don't know, it has some closed down, both the uh, shot, the clothing shop and the uh, sure shot. I'm not sure what the whole circumstance was. Right, right. It was before <clears throat> the announcement of the big development that would uh, t- kind of suck it up a little bit. Actually, I think that buildings, those, those brick buildings are going to be preserved, but yes. they need a lot of maintenance and upgrades. So I think uh, before anybody else moves in, but that, that just so you, people know who, what you're talking about, it's that it was that clothing store that was right next to the nickel plate. Uh, it was right next to the nickel plate restaurant. That's right. That so time. there was yeah. the nickel plate bar and grill. There mm-hmm. was the Fisher's barbershop. Yes. Romeo and Leo was there. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Sure Shot Coffee. And I believe there was an entrance agency, I believe, at the yeah, end. I think they were all in the same building or close to each Correct. other. Correct. Yeah. And, and some of the development has pushed them out in, mm-hmm. in some capacity. So, um, I mean, the, the tipping point for me, I think, was the coffee shop going out of commission because then I couldn't get my caffeine for a little while. Um, <laughs> you couldn't find one to replace it? Huh? No, no, of course not. <laughs> uh, well, I have since, thankfully, we had Del Leva open That's up right. in my district, and mm-hmm. I, I'm a big fan of Del Leva. If anyone follows my Instagram or 
Facebook or I've Twitter. I've seen a few pictures there. Yeah. Yes, I have been there a few times myself. Yeah. Well, I, I frequent a lot of coffee shops and I frequent a lot of local ball, small businesses because I know how difficult it can be to start a small business. It's, mm-hmm. it's very important that we – as a community, try to rally behind supporting our small businesses as best we can. And I think the best way to do that is start by giving them a seat at the table when the d- decisions of development are being made. So just briefly, any other issues you want to highlight before we dig down in a little bit on some of these issues? Well, I think inevitably with the development issue, it inevitably leads to a question about infrastructure, right? So we talk about development, we talk about small businesses, we also talk about that there's an existing infrastructure that is a little bit older. It's a little bit underkept per se. There are certainly things that we need to be doing as a city to lay the foundation to accommodate these new developments so our city's existing residents either aren't being pushed out or aren't being strained to get from point A to point B. And I was going to ask you about that, so let me drill down on that one because uh, you did mention this on your website about infrastructure. And when you say infrastructure, that takes in a very big area of any city. So where are the particular infrastructure issues, in your view, in Fishers? Well, collectively in Fishers, we've got a a number of different opportunities where we can improve our infrastructure. The first being that we can increase our bike lanes. I I, I know a number of people, and I've been out door knocking during the campaign, and you meet a lot of people who really enjoy biking from point A to point B, but they don't feel, A, comfortable doing it where there are existing bike lanes, or B, don't have the opportunity to get into the bike lanes at all because there are none. Um, particularly one, one place in my district that is affected not just by bike lanes, but just by walkways is Eller Road. I mean, that is arguably one of the oldest parts of Fishers, and it's been neglected in, in lieu of focus of dollars being at 116th Street or anywhere else. But the you talk to the residents who live in neighborhoods or in houses along the street of Ella Road, they will love the opportunity to be able to walk to downtown Fishers if they could, but they don't have that opportunity to do it safely. I say there's no sidewalk. It safely can be used. Because I don't remember. I've, I've driven that in that area, but I haven't frequented it quite a bit. So you're saying there's just not access there for pedestrians. That's correct. Or bicycles. Okay. Correct. So All if right. you were to go uh, just before River Road, you take a left on Ella Road from 116th Street. Sure. Um, there are no... <laughs> there are no sidewalks in existence. Uh, so you have people who, of course, there's the school just a little further down. Uh, but any neighborhood up to that point has no sidewalks well, from 116. Just in one, I think it was maybe less than a year ago that the city council did approve some or an ordinance about a halo for people who are on bicycles. This is particularly an issue out in Geist hmm. where you have two-lane roads that were kind of farm roads that have been improved perhaps or just not don't have a lot of room there. And uh, and that's also true within the other parts of the city that, that motorists are supposed to keep um, keep bicyclists, uh, give them a halo of three feet, two or three feet. I can't remember the exact amount. Of course. So this has come, come up as an issue for bicyclists. So your view is you want to see bicycle lanes. Is that correct? I, I want to see a number of mobility options mm-hmm. available in our city. And I don't think it, it's restricted to bike lanes, mm-hmm. but certainly when you look at uh, the, the city budget and you have to make decisions about where you can focus your dollars and how much something is going to cost, I mean, I think bike lanes are probably the minimum viable option we should be looking at. Of course, when we talk about mobility, we inevitably will pivot into transit and start talking about how can we connect our city better. So we have a number of residents, and I've talked to a number in my district specifically. This place called Connor Creek. Mm-hmm. It's a neighborhood just behind the roost, actually. Yes. And there's a number of uh, residents uh, who are retired, who are a little bit older, and they don't feel comfortable getting behind the wheel of a vehicle. So then they're left calling for a shuttle or finding a way to um, 
do their business around the city, whether it's going to Kroger or, or going to the farmer's market on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not really a convenient way for them to get around. They're always waiting on someone else to give them a ride. Um, and that ride may not be dependable. So certainly within our city, I think there's opportunities where we could have some sort of transit option that helps give our residents who aren't able to drive accessibility, but also giving people an opportunity where if they want to go out on the town and also don't and want to be responsible about it, there's an opportunity for them to go to and fro without having to worry about that. This uh, council election is for a four-year term beginning next year. And you say on your campaign website that fishers will be facing new problems. What problems do you foresee? I think we're already seeing them. I, I, you I tell th- me what you think of course. they are. No, I, I think with the um, unprecedented growth that our city has experienced, we're inevitably going to be facing challenges in our infrastructure primarily. I mean, we're going to have a number of issues for n- trying to accommodate new residents. Uh, we have existing residents who already don't feel welcome and already don't feel um, or, or already feel crowded. But then we tie that into that the roads are overcrowded. They don't feel safe walking anywhere. And if we're trying to have a walkable downtown, we need to find a way to alleviate the traffic on the roads, either through widening them or increased transit opportunities. So when you say new residents do not feel welcome, did I hear you say that? What do you I'm mean? Sorry, by existing it? residents don't existing feel welcome. Existing residents. You say yes. the existing residents do not feel welcome in their own city? Explain why you think why they are tell why you think that or why they are telling you that. Sure. So there's a number of residents um, in my district um, that are closer to the development at 116th Street, and those residents are just waiting for their home to be bulldozed. You talk to them, and they express a deep concern that they're going to be forced to move elsewhere. And they like living in Fishers, and and I'm I'm one of them. I love living in Fishers as well. It's a great city, but we still have a looming um, axe over our head per se <laughs> that. Your weight, Are you talking about the area sort of south of 116th Street? Or that's any correct. Other? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. if you look anywhere where the development is happening on the south side of 116th Street, right in the heart of the nickel plate, you see – you talk to a number of residents who are just waiting for someone to knock on their door and say, hey, would you like to move? We'll pay you this much. But the problem is that there's no other affordable way to live in Fishers. So you either have to sell your home and move elsewhere or make more money and live in Fishers somewhere else as well. You're, you face the, the challenge of possibly losing your home. It was a neighborhood that uh, banded together when the yard in, was proposed, mm-hmm. got themselves an attorney to all realize that something was about to happen and got 1.5% percent. of yeah. their value, which yeah. you know, turned out to be good for them. But not everybody has that, that luxury. And again, all the neighbors realized what was happening and, right. and got together. And to not that. everyone's privy to that information, right? Well, True, but uh, yeah, that was one of those exceptions to the rule, I guess you would say. <laughs> but those those people came out rather well. Although some of them wanted to stay, they they could find another place in sure. Fishers. Now you also say transparency is important. I hear this a lot in in political campaigns, having covered a number of them here in Fishers, included over the last what eight nine years. So tell me how you <coughs> would work to make the council more transparent than it is now. I think transparency is something that every government should strive to achieve. And I, I don't know if there is a um, a finish line to to that question. I mean, ev- everything that the city council should do or every that any government should do is be open and honest with what's happening, what the plan is, and gathering feedback from our constituents or the residents who are going to be affected by this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 
one particular issue that, that kind of drove the idea of transparency on my campaign is if you look at the agendas on the city council and the timestamps of which they were posted, I mean, they are less than 24 hours prior to the city council, uh, the city council meeting. Um, and I believe that that is a state mandate. That's there, is a, there is a state open meetings law. Yeah. Uh, I think the agenda has to be on a little earlier than that, but all the attachments are not always there. Right. Most of them are, but they're not always there. The school board does the same thing. Sure. So why my, – my question to that is why would we not strive to be more transparent and have all of our attachments up front so people have, if nothing else, the weekend prior to the city council meeting to really look through what's being proposed as opposed to a suspension of the reading of the rules and a, a vote in the moment before anyone has a chance to stand up and object or express a concern? At, well, when you talk about the you know the rules being suspended, it does take a unanimous vote to do that, and that, and not in every case, but in many cases, there are three readings that are required. That could be three meetings, or you could combine one and two, or two and three. But uh, rather than go through all three meetings, if you have a unanimous uh, vote of the council, you can approve something in one night. So uh, I think is that what you're referring to? On? A- absolutely. All right. Yeah. All right. Now you say that. You want fishers to be accessible and affordable. Yet, if you look at the at the data that we have available now, rents and home prices are on the rise. The city was denied low income housing credits for from the state for an apartment project uh, over on Lantern Road, which was a private sector uh, project that was proposed and would not be. Uh, viable as a low-income housing option without those tax credits. And for those who don't know, these these low-income tax credits are divvied out by the state and local communities all compete for them. There are only so many that are available. And Fishers applied last year, was denied. They're applying again this year, and I don't believe there's word yet on on how that's that's going to, uh, to go. Now, this is a problem that the mayor and the council members have been talking about for some time. So I think the problem is is pretty obvious. As someone who has kind of recognized this as a problem, what you said already, what solutions do you think the city should explore to deal with this issue? Well, to jump back to the premise, I'm, I'm in no way when I specify affordability, am I specifying low-income tax credits. I think when you talk about affordable housing, I'm referring to housing that is affordable. It's not the same as a low-income tax credit or, or Section 8 housing, as it's often referred to. Um, what I'm referring to is creating a, a real estate environment that is attractive to people like my wife and I. I, I always... Uh, joke that my wife and I wouldn't be able to live in Fishers if we bought our home now, as opposed to when we did three and a half years ago. I mean, I have seen my property value rise by about 45 to 50% since I bought my home in three and a half years. And part of that's due to the proximity of where the development's happening. Part of it's doing uh, is um, is related to the the notoriety that the city gets as you know being one of the best places to live. And of course, it's not bad for my pocketbook, but the problem is it's bad for my upward mobility. If my wife and I want to buy a house in Fishers to start you know, a larger family or add another member, that's not something we can do easily. We really have to think about if we want to call Fishers home long-term with the considerable rise in our real estate prices. And I think that's a problem that everyone in Fishers is currently experiencing, especially in my district. So you're really wanting to use market forces. How do you do that? How do you make this a more affordable place? In my view, and I've studied this in other places where I've been a reporter years ago, is that you reach a crisis point when 
your police officers, your teachers, your other public safety employees, quite frankly, any public employee Absolutely. can no longer li- afford to live in the community in which they serve. So I think Fishers is starting to kind of get to that point, and, and so people are talking about it. So you are really talking about market forces. How do you manipulate market forces to allow for affordable housing? Well, I don't know if you're manipulating market forces, so to speak, but I think we need to find a way to f- use the tools that the government has to, or our, our government has, to attract investments that are perhaps mixed use. I know that there was a, pro- uh, a project downtown Indi- in downtown Indianapolis that um, was a mixed use for uh, full income and then people who worked in the region. Mm-hmm. So and I'm not entirely sure on the specifics of that, but I do know that there are mixed models that exist where we can attract investments from small businesses by knowing that their workforce will have a place to call home within the city, which creates reliability amongst the businesses that they know that they'll have employees that can be at work on time uh, and nearby. So I think those are some considerations we need to look at and then finding a way that uh, works for, for everyone. And I'm not, I'm not sure on the specifics of exactly the detail, but we'll need to do some studies to get that done. And I, I am getting to know people who are uh, a nonprofit called Hand, which is out of Noblesville, which regionally tries to work on affordability of housing in mm-hmm. general. Uh, they say that you need one of two things. You need affordable housing or you need transportation because there are plenty of people in Marion County who probably would like to work in the Fishers area. Maybe they don't have a way to get here. Mm-hmm. And and that's a problem. I mean, uh, ma- mass transit uh, is, is kind of where, where it's happening. It's it's within the city and uh, the red line and so forth. It's, it's concentrated on certain areas. And what I've seen in the future is really nothing coming this way. In the foreseeable future, so I mean, with regards to mass transit, with, with regards to transportation in and out of the Indianapolis area to okay. Fifth Fishers, so you were talking about what most people call mass transit. So, with that in mind, where does the city go? I mean, you can go one of two ways. You can you can talk about affordable housing. That's got its challenges. You talked about that. Is transportation a viable option in this case? Well, I think transportation is is a tricky situation for any government to consider. I I worked on the Red Line campaign um, early in my career, and it was a really unique experience uh, to get firsthand accounts of what people thought that were going to be affected by the development. I went door knocking across Meridian Kessler and up through Broad Ripple, talking to business owners and talking to residents about what they cared about. And their biggest concern was to make sure that they weren't going to be affected too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there you had some concerns about you know uh, attracting different demographics of people that were going to be coming through their area, and, and that's um, not something I typically agree with. But um, but the the studies are there that show that mass transit improves the economic opportunities of a region. I mean, there is a number of statistics and studies that that prove that data. Um, with regard to fishers and it, whether or not transportation is a viable option, I think certainly within our city it is. Between fishers and Indianapolis, I think that's a that's a mayoral issue that we need to look at, and perhaps a county issue. Um, there needs to be agreement at every level of our government to really make that work. I know that I have um, uh, early on in my. Uh, uh, a little over last year, I started my own business, and I had a client that lived and worked in downtown Indianapolis. And they wanted me there at 8 a.m., and to be on I-69 at 7 a.m. is like a death-defying feat. Well, I did that it's, commute for years. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And through some pretty ugly construction, you know, 
periods years ago, so I fully understand what that's about. That It's a tough commute, and there are a lot of people who live in Fishers and work in downtown Indy, and it is a struggle. Yeah, but you can do it if you want, but it's it's a struggle. So what, well, I'm, hearing you, what I'm hearing you say is that transportation-wise, you don't have any real specific ideas, but I, I'm kind of hearing that you think it's a regional issue. I certainly think it's an issue that needs to be addressed. Okay. The, specif- the specificity of the solution – uh, will be dependent on the studies and the demand within the, the city. I know that there was a, a line that came through, I believe it's called the Green Line on the bus. Um, perhaps I have that title wrong. Well, no, it was the title. And Green Line at one point years ago was supposed to be one of the first mass transportation lines, either with light rail or some kind of uh, red line type bus service. That's correct. Uh, and then at that point, it, it sort of got shoved to the back. Yep. It was like the last one that would have been done. And obviously, local politicians lose interest when it's not uh, going to be happening right away. Sure. And so now we have the Nickel Plate Trail, and I think the pursuing of the trail had something to do with the fact they didn't think that the uh, Green Line would be viable for transportation. There's always debate about that. That's correct. But, I believe there was a, d- a debate at the State House mm-hmm. that it, I believe the original plan was Indy Connect, and it correct. had a number of different lines. And they. The state house quashed it with with some amendment, I believe, by uh, Mike Delph, who's senator at the time, mm-hmm. uh, proposed something. But um, you know, there are a number of people. You mentioned something earlier that you know it, people can choose to commute to Indianapolis if they want, but it's not really a choice for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indianapolis is certainly the economic powerhouse, and you know, a, a year ago I had my business, and now I work at a company in Fishers. I'm fortunate to do so, uh, but there's a number of people who don't have that opportunity. They have to go to the economic mecca of Indianapolis um, as opposed to um, a viable, well, good-paying job here in Fishers. And that's, I think, something that the city could do a better job of is attracting that investment. You've been uh, going door to door. It's pretty clear from your Facebook feed. You do have put pictures up there. You're talking to people. You've already related some of what you've heard. What are people telling you when you go door to door? I think the first thing that everyone tells me is I like living in Fishers, uh, which is a great thing to hear. You always want people to love where they live, right? Um, but when you really start probing them about the issues. You start asking, how do you feel about the development that's happening? How do you feel about the infrastructure? And and truthfully, this is the, the purest form of representation is you're on people's doorstep asking about what they care about. Um, and I think when you talk to people and they say, oh, it's, yeah, I love living in Fishers, but I love living in Fishers if it did this. And you start seeing these cracks starting to form about their ideas of what Fishers should be. And that's the, what, what, is the foundation of my campaign is a reflection of everyone likes growth, everyone likes economic development, but they don't like it as long if it affects them in a way that is negative. And yeah, and I think I hear what you're saying there. Now, you also in in some of your campaign material cite the need for advocacy and inclusion. Explain what you mean by that. Well, I wasn't saying it was a need for advocacy and inclusion, but I was saying that I love. That's what attracted my wife and I to move. So here. you think the Fishers has that? I, I, I think my, the Fishers does a great job talking about the issues that are hard, in particular with mental health. That's something that uh, I've had to deal with in my personal life uh, with some people that I know, and knowing that I had a city behind me that supported those efforts is what brought me to the city to begin with. Is knowing that there's a community of people that support the issues that you deal with or that affect you on a daily basis. So you feel that there is advocacy, there is inclusion, and the mental health uh, initiative is one of the big examples of that. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely. Of course, I would love to see us uh, put some more advocacy and inclusivity uh, with the arts (laughs) as best we can. Um, But but that would be 
something I'd love to contribute to when I get elected. One of the council's duties is to approve the annual budget. I mean, the, the budgetary responsibilities are big. Uh, they've already had a public hearing this year for the 2020 budget. No, I don't think anybody spoke, if I recall correctly, for on the budget issue. But my question to you is that it will be approved. The final approval is coming up in October at the monthly meeting in October. Talk about how you approach the responsibility of being a steward of the city budget. I certainly think that nobody expects the current budget to be denied. <laughs> I think no, I, no. I, th- I think with the current representation that we have on the city council, it's it's a it's a certified pass, right? Um, with regard to whether how our city needs to operate with respect to the residents' finances, I think what we're currently doing is placing our city at a higher level of unnecessary risk than we need to be, and I mean particularly with the debts that we've been incurring through TIFs. And that's something that when we look at the amount of debt our city has, should there be a recession, which has been forecasted either next year or the year after through a a number of economists, what is our city's plan to shore up our city's debt? I believe we're somewhere close, and correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere close to half a billion dollars in debt. It's less than that, actually. Okay. So I'd last – and then you you can (laughs) – Having been a tax law specialist in my previous life, I do know you can manipulate figures, and I'm not accusing anybody of doing that. But it's in the neighborhood of three hundred to four hundred million, I think. It's right. it's that, close. That I mean, you, correct, you yeah. can you can play with that, but it ha- we're not close to a half billion. Yeah. Well, so anyway, just you go said four hundred million. That would be about a hundred uh, million shy of half a billion. <laughs> I'm trying. Okay, so I'm already. See if you, look what happened to me. <laughs> I'm supposed to <laughs> yeah, know how to do this. I don't have this. the data in front of me. Uh, to, to it's not a billion it's, dollars. It's, it's not a half a billion dollars, but it's it's closer to three or four hundred million dollars, if I recall. It's, if it's, I said it's it wrong a pretty before, high amount of debt for so a city to, to take whether on. it's high or low is a matter of interpretation. You're saying it's high. Yeah, and explain why. Well, I think if the city has debt and it, there are a number of people that owe the city, should there be a recession, those people who have incurred the debt uh, or the the people who owe the city uh, and the city has incurred or the debt that the city has incurred. Um, I'm really curious to see what the the mayor and the current administration's plan is to counteract that should there be a recession. We're getting close to the end here. 30 minutes goes quickly when you're talking about all these issues. So here's my last question for you. Say you're talking to a potential voter within your district, and they're saying, well, Mr. Caps, I've listened to you. I've listened to your opponent. Explain to me why I should vote for you. What's your two-minute or less answer on that <laughs> two one? Two-minute or less. <laughs> well, I always tell people that I love living in Fishers, and I, I love the the community activities that we have in the, amount, in the community that comes together at those activities. Um, and as a representative, I want to maintain that as best as possible. And I've met a number of people who don't feel welcome in the city anymore. And that includes small business owners. And that includes lifelong residents who don't feel comfortable calling Fisher's home anymore. And as someone who's door knocked on over a thousand doors and talked to, you know, a couple thousand people about these issues, I understand exactly what they mean. It's not that the city is growing too fast. It's not that the city is, um, pushing people out is that the city is making people not feel welcome. And as a representative, my goal is to make everyone feel like Fishers can be called home. Adam Capps is running for a city council seat on the Southwest district of the Fisher city council. Adam, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. 
This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area, so check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.